0: I'm not sure if you've seen this on Facebook. It's the How Hard Did Aging Hit You Challenge. Huh, that's a scary thing. Who came up with that bright idea? Basically, the idea, if you haven't seen it, is you, you go through, since Facebook's been around for a while now and everybody's got old pictures, uh, you, you go through your profile pictures and you find one from about 10 years ago. And then you take that profile and you put it right beside uh, your your current profile. And um I did not take up that challenge. <laughs> I'm not sure if you did. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Um, but as I was thinking about that challenge and, and what it shows you, it's, it's designed to show you, here's a decade of your life. Picture one, picture two. My question for you this morning and kind of as we think about this current series that we're in and the theme for the year is... In your walk with Christ, whether it be 10 or 20 or 30 years or more, if you, could, if you could pull a picture from that person, whether it was a young teenager who just came out of the water's edge at camp, or a, a young adult who maybe came just freshly up out of the baptistry waters, wherever it was for you when you began your journey with Christ by putting him on, In baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. If someone could have just stopped for just a moment and took a a snapshot of you. That looked at not just the outside of you, but the the spiritual part of you, new and fresh and clean and pure. And, And then then fast forward to today, your most recent picture. And you can put those two side by side and they showed not just the outside of you, but the inside. What would it show has your has your love for Christ grown deeper? Has your desire for His presence uh, been uh, greater? Have you grown in your knowledge of Him and His Word? Have you matured in using your gifts and in your walk? It'd be an interesting exercise. Uh, fortunately, we don't have spiritual cameras, but as we think about the theme of all in, that's what we're talking about this year. To 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 think to really assess about where we are. And, and ask ourselves, how are we doing? How are we growing? Uh, I, I use this picture of the beach, which I realize in January in Kansas probably seems a little ironic as we drive past the sign as you drive in. They, this, these people do not know Kansas weather. Um, but that, that came from a, an experience where we had as a family. And and as we were going along the beach that day, I realized that none of us were experiencing the true power and the depth of the ocean. That, That there were divers and boaters and skiers way out on the horizon who were experiencing all of the greatness and the power of the ocean. In our walks with God, are we just staying in the shallows? Are we going out deeper and deeper as we go along? Because that's really what God desires. That's what God wants for us is to go deeper than we are. And that's not just to make everybody feel guilty about where they are right now, but just to say if you could if you could take where you are right now and fast forward to the end of twenty nineteen, will you be deeper than you are right now? Will you be closer to the Lord than you are right now? That's his desire. And that's what we're talking about as we think about all in. Our goal is to to love the Lord our God with everything we've got, and to be all in. And so our theme verse for that is Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. Uh, We're going to read that together, and I hope that you'll read the red words, and uh, I'll read the black words, okay? One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. Uh, He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important one? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The, the, the word all there should catch your attention. Because when you're, when you're with the Lord, and we talked about last week, they had 613 commands. Those were all important commands. Don't, don't let me mislead you. But, but as they talked about and debated and discussed and, and, and went back and forth about which mattered most, which were the heaviest, which ones were the light ones, which were the moral laws, which were the, the worship laws, which ones were the, of chief importance, they came to these two to love the Lord your God with all you have And to love your neighbor as yourself. I hope that from where we stand today, and fast forward about 51 weeks, we look at the end of the year, we take those two side-by-side snapshots, we'll find ourselves loving God more deeply, and more passionately, and more sincerely than we do right now. Our desire to grow and abide with Him. But... This morning, we're going to get down into, I told you last week, we were kind of taking a big picture view of this. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into these ones specifically, and this morning we're looking very specifically at what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, we have to clarified something, especially when we talk about the subject of heart, because because the common... Um, wisdom, the conventional wisdom in today's world is that you should just you, you often hear this advice, just follow your heart. You often hear this advice, just follow your heart, just do what you sense seems right. What what you think, what feels good to you, you'll hear that certainly from the world and you'll Even hear that from Christians as well. I'm going to warn you to not follow that advice. Whether it's in music or movies or on Instagram or watching the Hallmark channel, uh, they will tell you you need to listen to your heart to trust it and to follow it and to listen to it. No. This is terribly stupid advice. Okay? Do not follow your heart. Uh, and I'll explain why in just a minute. Uh, in fact, not only is this bad advice, your heart is the problem. Following your heart is garbage advice. Okay? And there's, there's, if you could, in fact, I think you have your handout. I told you to put it away earlier, but I know you're following along diligently now. If you could just cross that, uh, scratch that out, because I know you filled it in, or just, like, tear it out, or punch, scratch it out with your pen or something. Because that's just terrible, awful advice. If you want to get into trouble, if you want to go into sin, if you want to cause more heartache and heart trouble in your life, just follow your heart. Now, the scriptures are very clear on this. The scriptures are very clear why it's a problem. Why that the heart is the heart of your problems. If we think about it, we all have a problem. And the problem that we all have is that we all have heart trouble. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles, we'll look at some scriptures about the heart. Romans chapter 7, and we're going to start verse 18 and verse 19. This is page 1210. If you don't have a Bible of your own, grab a pew Bible. Uh, page 1210, uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 18 is where we are. Paul is describing his struggle between his heart and the spirit, between the flesh and the spirit. And the whole chapter is good, but uh, these two verses sort of summarize. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out for i do not do the good that i want but the evil that i do not want is what i keep on doing now if i do what i do not want it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells within me your your heart has a sickness and that sickness is sin that sin leads it to be fickle and impulsive and to do things that you don't understand why you do. I'm perpetually trying to lose weight. Up one pound, down two. Up five pounds, down three. Now my problem, and I know what you're thinking, and you stop it, you judgmental people. My, my problem is not Chick-fil-A. I promise you, I'm I'm not, It's not like an addict. I can quit anytime I want. It's not the problem. But usually I do a pretty good job. I do the with a MyFitnessPal and I get the the grilled chicken or I get the salad or I just skip on the waffle fries. You can do that, you know. You can eat healthy at Chick-fil-A. I can do that. You know, my problem is, and my wife will tell you and my children will tell you, it's the last two hours of the day. It's the last two hours where I just I just sort of decompress, I unwind, and I eat mindlessly. And it's not Chick-fil-A, it's just junk. And every morning when I slip and fall and I step on the scale, I'm like, oh it's morning, Toby. And morning Toby is he's excited about losing weight. It's night Toby that's not on on board, okay? But there's this battle within me. I know. I want to get healthier. I want the, all of the advantages of being healthy. But there's something within me that doesn't want that. That wants the pleasure of the momentary fleshly pleasure, and it far supersedes all of the other advantages. Now that's a silly, stupid, fleshly example to say that there's something within you, and we're going to call it the heart. Paul here calls it the flesh. But there's something within you that is divided. You know the right thing to do, but you don't do it. You know the right thing to say, but you don't say it. There's a war within us, and your heart, well-meaning as it may be, is fickle and impulsive. Turn to the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17, and again, if you're not familiar with the where the books are in the Bible, take out that pew Bible and turn to page 830. Jeremiah chapter 17, in the middle of a scripture about people who trust uh, and and the sin of God's people, verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? you've had this you you you've had this it wasn't just a a food thing it was a a sin thing you 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 know it's wrong and yet you you do it anyway jeremiah says that's that's not an external thing it's something broken within you and so when you struggle with a sin and and when we struggle with a sin, because it doesn't just start or stop here. We're, we're dealing with a heart problem. When, when you struggle with something and you know you shouldn't do it, but you keep on doing it. And there's part of you that, that is guilty and remorseful and full of shame. And yet you find yourself, as the Proverbs say, like a dog returning to its vomit. It will not stop. Why? Because as Jeremiah would say, that the heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately sick. And let's turn back to the New Testament and the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 9. Mark, chapter 7, verse 9, and this is Jesus here, and he's speaking toward a Sunday morning crowd. Well, in that day, it would have been a Saturday morning crowd. He's speaking toward religious people. This morning when I told you about being in a routine and being in a rut and going through the same motions again and again, the, the danger is not in necessarily going through the physical repetitions, but, but going to a point where you go on autopilot with God. Very, very dangerous. Mark chapter 7, and Jesus is speaking here. And we're going to look at verse 6, and this is page 1081 in the Pew Bible. He said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You see, the heart is still acting. It's still fickle. It's still impulsive. It's still deceitful, even amongst religious people. And more than that, it's easily distracted. Uh, I'm sure no one here has ever had the. The sense that you're singing a song you've sung hundreds of times, and you could be singing about watermelon and smoked sausage. I mean, they're just rolling off the, the words are rolling off the tongue. There is no meaning in the heart. Your mind is a thousand miles away from what you're doing. Jesus said, That's hypocrisy. In vain do you do that kind of worship. You honor me with your lips, but right here, the thing that I care about the most is far from me. Do you see we got a problem of the heart? That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. That, that when, you, when you impulsively want to do what your heart wants to do, or when the world or culture tells you you want to do, or even in church we do the thing that feels natural to our heart, we got to be real careful because the heart is a dangerous thing. The heart is the problem. The heart is not the solution, at least not our heart. The solution is not to follow our heart, but instead to follow God's heart. We don't need to seek what we want. We need to seek his heart, what he wants. Now, the best example I can think of this is a man by the name of David, who is described in this way. Turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Just right there after the Gospels, Luke, in his book to Theophilus, his letter to Theophilus, recording now not just the works of Jesus, but the works of Jesus' followers, were in Acts chapter 13, page 1182 on the Pew Bible. And Paul here is preaching at Antioch, and in And as he goes through the history of God and God's people, here's what he says. When they had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he, that's God, testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all My will. What was it that got David the wonderful distinction of being described as a man after God's own heart? Was it because he was from a family of prestige? No. Was it because he was the tallest, the most kingly looking? No. Was it because he was a courageous, sinless, perfect person? No. Now, now David had a wonderful attitude in so many ways, but what made him a man after God's own heart was that he sought God's heart in all that he did. We're going to look at some quick examples of that. Go to Psalm chapter 34, back to the Old Testament. David wrote much of the Psalms, we know. And one of these in particular, verse 1, he says... I will bless the Lord at all times. This is page 588. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. David was a man who adored God. Of course, we know he worshipped God, but, but he, he had in his heart an adoration of God. And that was continual throughout his life. My praise will continually your praise will continually be in my mouth. Uh, turn backwards just a little bit to 1 Samuel. This is the, uh, a recording of one of David's uh, actions before he was king. Uh, page 316 is where you want to go. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 23. Now... I'm going to get all into this, but basically David was the second king of Israel. The first king of Israel, Saul, had a problem. And instead of focusing on God, he focused on all the things that David was doing. He developed sort of this unholy jealousy. And so he chases David, and there's this back and forth. I just want to pick one piece of the story in 1 Samuel Chapter six, uh, 26, verse 23. David here is speaking to Saul, who is the king. He's been um, hiding, David's been hiding, and Saul's been seeking him. And he, and he calls out to Saul, who's been chasing down David. Uh, he says, David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. And I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, that's a couple of scriptures that spell out something huge. And that is this. David practiced holy fear by restraining himself from Annihilating Saul. He could have. God had given Saul into David's hands. David refused to lay a hand on Saul. Why? Because God had picked him. Not because he respected Saul that greatly, but because of his adoration and his holy fear of God. He was not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He was going to let the Lord deal with the Lord's anointed. That's holy fear. That's a beautiful thing. We don't have a lot of that in our world. Turn back about nine chapters to chapter 17. Probably one of the most well-known stories of David, of course, is his encounter with Goliath. David was not a trained warrior. David was not a man who was always on the fighting lines. In fact, he was often... um, you know, as we saying, I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, David was that. He was with the sheep and, and a shepherd and he wasn't a fighting man in his nature. And yet when a Philistine nine feet tall named Goliath defied the living God, this unknown, powerless, weak Tiny shepherd boy who was just bringing lunch rose up and said, who is this? Who does this Philistine think he is? And verse 48 of this powerful story, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David did not fear. Oh, maybe David was afraid because this this Philistine was quite sizable, quite formidable as an opponent. But what David saw was not the Philistine. David saw his God and David was willing to stand courageously in the battle. So his adoration of God, his holy fear towards God, his courage with God made David a man after his after God's own heart. And as we said, David was not a perfect man. We know he committed a sin with Bathsheba. He, he committed adultery. He, he then tried to cover up his adultery and ended up having her husband killed. Uh, this whole story is right in the story of Jesus. It's in the lineage of Jesus the Christ. David, the man, this lover of God, this man after God's own heart, You say, oh, I could never live up to that. But you might be able to identify with David's sin. Here's what David did when he sinned. After he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he records these words in Psalm chapter 51. And this is what I think really keys into David's heart, is that it was not about David's heart It was that his heart sought God's heart. Have mercy. This is page 602 in the Brown Pew Bible. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you you understand that David had certainly sinned against a lot of people? He violated Bathsheba. He brought shame to her family. He violated Uriah. He violated the the, uh, the valiancy of his uh, efforts as a soldier he had sinned against Israel as their leader. He had sinned against Nathan, and he had sinned against all of these people. I mean, when a leader of God's people, this is the, the weight and responsibility of leadership, when a leader sins, it brings shame on all of those who follow him. David had brought a lot of sin to a lot of people. David, I, I know was aware of that, but when he when he Repented when he showed holy remorse before God, he said, Lord, it is you and you alone that I have sinned against. It's you and you alone that I have brought this iniquity. See, this is what David's heart was so beautiful about David's heart, is that he sought to align his heart with God's heart. David was not a perfect man, but his heart his soul yearned for the living God. Look at the scripture that Will read for us in Psalm chapter 63. Psalm chapter 63, just a few, few chapters over from where we began, or from Psalm 51. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh Faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David, David knew that his heart needed, yearned for the Lord God. And he compared that to being spiritually parched and dehydrated. You ever, you ever been dehydrated? I'm looking at the teens now because I know this is an annual tradition for them to go and get dehydrated. Uh, they go up to, on a mountain about a mile above sea level. And, and flatland kids, especially the ones who go the first and second time, don't realize that they're dehydrated. And so you get a lecture about the importance of it. And then day two or day three, kids start falling over and collapsing. Kids start going, I have a headache. And the first question was always, did you drink any water today? Well, a uh, half a can of Dr. Pepper, does that count? You're dehydrated. You don't even know it that high up. But, but David says, without God, I'm spiritually parched. I'm dry. If you're here this morning and you are spiritually parched and dry... It doesn't have anything to do with the water that you put in your body. It's, it's a question of how much God you're putting in your heart. How much of him you're seeking with all of your heart. So the scriptures say in Second Chronicles sixteen nine that the, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to seek those, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those who are seeking the water the living water of the lord my question is how can we know if we're fully seeking god's heart how can we know if we're being like david if we have the heart that that david had that seeks god's heart in what we do so so let's take a heart test this morning um i've got some treadmills in the foyer we're going to line up no i'm just kidding uh, no no treadmills involved just a question and as as i asked the question I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As we ask this simple but profound question. I want to remind you of Peter's first sermon. This is page 1168. Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching a sermon. And the essence of that sermon is this. To his audience he's saying. You killed The son of God, that Jesus, the Christ, the the one who went around doing miracles and teachings, he was the promised Messiah. And, And just days ago, you put him on a Roman cross and you killed him. Now, you talk about bringing an audience to a point where they go, "Okay, great. Now, what do we do? How can we undo that? I mean, you've sinned, but you haven't sinned like they had sinned. And and Peter preaches it obviously much more passionately and, and with much more intensity. And he brings them to a point where they ask this question. This verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? Did you notice that? That they—I know church crisis are waiting for me to get to verse thirty-eight, but I just want to hang around in verse thirty-seven for a second, okay? They were cut to the heart. How do we know that their heart was cut by what Peter said? Because they responded in this way. What? What shall we do? How are we going to make this right? What can we do to ever uh, show our remorse for killing? The son of God and Peter says, verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, look at verse 41 and look how they responded to this. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three Thousand souls going in the water. Not water like we have here. Water, probably natural body of water, undoubtedly. But, but, but here's the heart test. The simple question is this. Do you do what God wants when God wants it? That's, that's a test. Do you do what God wants when God wants it? i mean when they when they said what do we do peter said repent and be baptized the word there meaning immersed go into the water it's as if peter's literally calling them deeper into a relationship with the lord how do we know that their heart was in the right spot the answer is this verse 41 those who accepted it were baptized and 3000 souls were added that My question to you is this. What has God called you to do? Have you heard me talk about repenting and being baptized? If your heart is just your heart, you're not going to do anything. But if your heart is aligned to God's heart, you're going to say, well, if God said to do it, then I'm going to do it. And maybe you've got sin in your life and God is calling you to repent. You're sick. You, you just feel distant from God. God is pressing on you. He is weighing on you. And you know you need to repent. You need to confess. You need to You need to pray. You need to call out to the Lord and leave the sin behind. My question is, what's your heart test? Are you going to do anything about it? Do you need to repent? Do you need to be baptized? Uh, Do you need to reprioritize your life? Do you need to begin sharing the gospel? What is it that you need to do? That's how we know when our heart's in the right place. Well done always exceeds well said. What you say matters very little in comparison to what you do. That's what shows Where your heart is. So the best we can do. Is to put our hearts. Under the full control of Jesus. And if you need to do that this morning. Then you can do that this morning. But if you've done that this morning. Then I have one more challenge for you. Okay. For the other 167 hours of the week. I want to challenge you. When your heart. Is moved by God. To act. Then act then do, do not wait, do not mentally weigh the options and try to think through the perfect plan. Just act, just do. The Bible calls that obedience. Now we think about that when we're coming to Christ. But if we want to go deeper in our relationship with Christ, when we're moved by God, by the word, by his spirit within our hearts, we need to respond. There's only one way to respond with action. To do, I want you to follow the example of the FedEx girl. Let's bring down the lights Everyone, and share her story. Everyone, as you can story.
1: tell, i work. I just had to pull over and share something real quick. Um, as I'm delivering, uh, I pull up to this house. The lady walks out because she's checking her her mailbox for her newspaper, and I have two boxes for her. So we start walking up the driveway together, and she asked me if I had a happy holidays, and I was telling her how busy it was told her I had a, a really great uh, Christmas and New Year's, and I, I asked her the same. I was like, how was your holidays? And with tears in her eyes, she said it wasn't good. And um, she said, he's sick. My husband's sick. He has cancer. I continued a small talk to try to change the subject because that's awkward. And uh, I deliver her package. She said, what's your name? I said, Amanda. And she told me her name. I drove off. Um, my heart's pounding. I, I do probably 20 more stops, and I have to go back. Um, you know, with this kind of job, we're on a, a tight schedule. Um, quicker you do it, the better. quicker you get home. I stopped what I was doing. I went back to that neighborhood and rang her doorbell and uh, asked her. She came down the stairs, and uh, she had tears in her eyes when she saw it was me. She smiled. And I said, ma'am, can I pray with you? And she just broke down. She came out on the front porch and <laughs> squeezed me so tight. Um, this lady I've never met. She held my hands so tight. And I prayed for her and her family and for her husband. And the point of this is, is a lot of people want the Lord to use them. And And for me, as an example, I pray every day for the Lord to use me. But when he's he's trying to use you or when you feel that call and that that tug on your heartstrings, do you move your feet? Do you move? Cuz I easily could have just went I have a 100 stops. I easily could have just went about the rest of my day thinking about it. So, when you feel those tugs on your on your heartstrings and you feel like you need to do this, stop and do it. You know what I mean? Um Oh, man, that was like the most genuine hug I have received in a long time. And I just want to share that with you guys. If you if you're praying for the Lord to help and to use you in people's situations when he is giving you a chance, do it. If not, you're going to you're going to continue to think about it and think about it and regret it. Like so be sure you know what you're praying for when you're praying I don't know, I just, it made me sad, but yet it made my day. To This lady was just so alone. But anyway, you guys have a good day.
0: This morning, that's the challenge I want for all of us. That when God moves you and he moves your heart by the word, by his spirit, when he moves, you move. And so I want to finish today's message in a little bit of a different way. I'm going to ask you to move. I actually just want to ask you to stand up. I know we're not singing. This is so unofficial. But I want you to reach across the aisle, grab a hand or a shoulder, and I'm going to pray for us to have the courage To not follow our own heart anymore, but to follow God's. Bow with me. Father in heaven, use our hearts this week and in all the weeks to come of our lives. Father, we confess to you that our hearts are fickle, that our hearts are sick, that we do things that we don't understand, and we don't do the things that we know we should Father, we we confess to you that we've sinned and that we're sorry for that. And, And, Father, thank you for providing Jesus as a remedy, as a holy remedy from heaven. But, Father, for we who are in Christ, may we not go through the motions. May we not get stuck in a rut. May we not be calloused. And safe and unmoving. Give us the courage, Father, this week. We, we, we open ourselves to you this week. We ask you to wholly interrupt our lives. Bring people into our path, Father, that need to know you. And give us the courage to share. Father, we need people, Uh, we, we ask that you bring people into our lives who are distant from you. Give us the courage to pray with them. Father, use our hands, use our hearts, and may our hearts respond. That whatever your heart asks us to do, Father, that we will move, that we will act. Father, we praise you as the creator of heaven and earth. And this morning as we finish this prayer, we're going to sing a song to you. And Father, I pray that we will that we will make every effort to open our hearts and sing that song as if it's the very first time we sing it. And that as we do, you'll fill our hearts with your hearts. To give us a holy hunger and a desire and a, and a heart like David's that seeks yours in all of our life's situations. Father, may we move. May we be a courageous people. May our hearts be all yours. Because you gave us all of yours through your son. And it's through his name that we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have a need and it's time for you to get moving, please respond. Come to our shepherds. We'll pray with you and for you. We want our hearts to be all in as together we stand and sing.